Hey, Randy, what you doing? Oh, hey, Dave. I'm just making a list of things that make me feel really, really good. Wearing Bombas socks. Trust me, that's number one on my list. Bombas socks feel so good because we use the smartest design and best materials, making them the most comfortable socks ever. Plus, because socks are the number one most requested clothing item in homeless shelters, we donate a pair for every pair purchased, and that feels pretty good, too. To shop Bombas or learn more about how your purchase supports those experiencing homelessness, go to bombas.com comfy and get 20% off your first purchase. This episode of Energy Matters is sponsored by Arnold Golden and Gregory. Welcome to Energy Matters, a show about how you can save money on your utility bills, use technology wisely, and live a more sustainable lifestyle. Here's your host, veteran energy regulator and clean energy expert, Commissioner Tim Eccles. Thank you, Scott Slade. It's always great to be saving money on that power bill using technology wisely and living a more sustainable life. Hey everyone, I'm in my hometown, Houston, Georgia, here at the Panis Museum with Jamie Sullins. Jamie, we're going to do a walk around uh, around this museum and all the very cool cars of the late uh, Don Panis, uh, his son uh, Dan, still running things here. How long have you been working with these guys? Uh, 21 years. Wow. I mean, this museum represents just about everything you guys have done since the beginning, doesn't it? Oh, yeah. The uh, started out with the uh, the GTR1s in the late 90s. Uh, a lot of people don't know we've got a hybrid that was run in 98. was one of the first hybrid race cars ever built long before Porsche or anybody else even thought about, you know, the hybrid program. Uh, we've done, you know, Indy cars for G4s. We have the racing schools at Road Atlanta, Sebring, Texas Motor Speedway, Mossport. Uh, 2002, we ran in Trans Am Series, one year, 12 races, 12 podium finishes, seven wins. Um, over the years, 06, we ran, you know, Le Mans. We won 24 hours of Le Mans in the GT class, LMP 900s. Uh, hold on just a second. Let's go to this Le Mans uh, car, because I, I think a lot of people, they saw that movie, Ford versus Ferrari, and that was, you know, uh, supposedly filmed at Le Mans. Of course, part of it was filmed at Road Atlanta. I don't think folks knew knew that. But uh, have you ever been over there? No. No, I've never been. Uh, we've got guys that's been with the race team for years that's been. Uh, one of the guys that's still with us, he's been, I think, 17, 24 hours of Le Mans. Yeah, so 17 of those. Tell me about what it was like from, you know, from the folklore and from the institutional knowledge here with with you guys going over there. I mean, we know that the whole Chateau Alain has this French theme. And so Don Panis, Don Panis loved that track, that experience. He wanted to make an impact. He did make an impact. Yeah, actually bringing IMSA in was, you know, his idea of bringing sports car racing back to the U.S. Uh, we got the 10-hour uh, Petit Le Mans at Road Atlanta. I mean, just – and we've been with basically every type of concept car you could take, from the Delta Wing to GT to LMP. Over the years, I mean, it was just something he just wanted to wanted to be involved with, and, and really he put that type of racing back on the map in the U.S. So tell me about the car that won over there. I mean, that was – that 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 had to be just a great moment. I mean, I, I you know I watched the Ford versus Ferrari movie. I think on a Delta plane, and just the the pride from winning that's huge. Yeah, and, and you know a lot of people don't realize that that was a privateer team. Uh, LNT is a privateer group that was basically 
funding our car, you know, fielding our car for us. Uh, we had the factory car over there too. I can't remember where that car finished, but for you know to go against the factory teams with a small manufacturing group like us was you know phenomenal don panis really was a pioneer i wrote several articles on him uh as a serial entrepreneur and as i look through this museum and all the iterations of the car that has his name on it it really has evolved over time oh yeah with the the you know, a lot of people don't realize like the Abruzzi is named after the region of Italy that his grandfather's from. The Avanzano is actually the village that they were from. Um, when we did the Avanzano, it was based on what we thought the Esperante should have been back in the day and had no intentions of racing it. Don saw the car, loved the car. We started from September to February and built a running race car, took it you know to st pete ended up winning seven races that year i think with a basically an untested car yeah i mean racing was important to him important to uh his son dan still is uh and as as don uh has passed away and his legacy continues i mean he has had just quite an impact on northeast georgia we estimated his economic impact northeast georgia at a couple of billion dollars with all the things that he's done but his legacy really lives on in a in a serious way in racing doesn't it yeah yeah i mean we're still you know we we try to be involved in any way we can you know they had the dedication of the footbridge at lamar this year for uh for dawn dan flew over and did the unveiling the ribbon cutting and everything but we, we, it's just he's been so impactful on the sport itself it's you just have to you know look you know look at all the stuff that he's impacted let's walk over and look at the hybrid car because i know that over the last few years of his life he was really wanting to have an impact with electric vehicles and a lot of folks don't know that he did have this first hybrid race car and he really wanted to continue to 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 see that happen he wanted to run that in that experimental class at lamar and he just didn't have enough time yeah, and and by you know you're you're talking ninety seven. It's it's even you know hybrid EVs were so in their infancy, you know for him to even consider running that car in a twenty four hour race, which it ran at at the ten hours of uh, Petite also that year. So, I mean to to have that vision to try to do that way before anybody even thought of having a hybrid vehicle was you know. But he was always. I mean he's always doing. Something like that. We tried with the the Green for You program was the same way, trying to bring that to the the buses and everything else. You know, as I, as I think about the Toyota Prius, which obviously has had a great impact uh, from an OEM perspective, I think the first one came out in '97, and so he really followed things at OEMs as well as racing. I mean, he had he had his finger on the pulse of everything happening and he wasn't afraid to try something different. No, no, that was the I think the worst thing you could ever tell Don was that he couldn't do anything because he would go beyond to prove you wrong, just to prove he could, you know, because they always told him, you know, a front engine vehicle would never work at Le Mans. We ran front engine vehicles for years at Le Mans. You know, he always said that the car never knew what end of the into the car the motor was on. Jamie, we're at the front part of the museum now. Some of the cars uh, here, p- folks can order now. They're specially built cars. And, uh, you know, 
Bubba McDonald, my colleague, and some other legislators were very instrumental in helping Don Panis to be able to sell these cars outside of the normal dealer network. And my family owned a car auction and a car dealership. And so, and my wife's dad was a general manager at Harry White Ford. So our family has been very involved with the dealer network. But Don, really, through the strength of his entrepreneurship, his relationships, uh, and just the economic impact he was having, he was able to convince the entire legislature to change the rules on how cars were bought, uh, at least for his company. And folks were able to order and buy a car directly from this shop right here. Yeah, over the years, I mean, everything has always been about, you know, exclusivity. You know, you can customize the car how you want it. Um, And all of the service work, repairs, everything is done here in-house. Um, all the parts are stored here in house. Every you know, body panels. You're not going to order this off you know from anywhere, but you know we can we can do everything custom in house. All your service work, everything is all still done here in Houston. So Jamie, we're here in the front of the museum, and 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 Dan has just walked in, and he and I are friends. We're standing by my sea turtle car here. Uh, I, I'm not going to win any races with a sea turtle car, but you know people say. That sure is a cute car. Uh, so I've had it down at Tybee Island. I left it with the mayor down there for six months, and she drove it around. So it's been a really fun thing. Dan, um, this museum, you know, represents a, a great legacy for you and your family. I know you're really proud of it. Yeah, I am. We've got a lot of our history here, uh, pretty much from the beginning, uh, from early roasters to late model roasters to the very first prototype Esperante all the way through the line and then to the new modern versions in the Avanzano and of course at the back all of our race car goodies uh, just about an example of everything we've ever built uh, plus of course the car we won Le Mans with which we're really proud of So, and also your sea turtles part of the history because just before uh, Don passed. His great effort and push was to do green for you, and uh, this the sea turtle represents. Uh, I like the phrase uh, "more car, less cart." So, if you're anybody that typically would buy a golf cart for getting around city use, this will do the same thing. But it's a lot nicer. Electric windows, uh, four doors, hatchback, even a backup camera with a full media display. And with my modification, uh, a solar panel. A solar panel. That wasn't a part of the OEM equipment, no. but in the spirit of Don Panis, I added it. Good. <laughs> uh, it works? I think it does. Okay. That's awesome. No, excellent. Hey, as we think about the future for your family, your entrepreneurial spirit, um, what are you guys uh, going to be doing? Well, we got something interesting we're cooking on uh, right now, and we even uh, made an approach uh, uh, back to the ACO at Le Mans, and there's an opportunity to do a project. We're still in early stages, so financing, but it would be electric-powered, and it would go to Le Mans, and this will freak you out. It's an electric car that doesn't have a battery. Well, I tell you what, that is going to be something that we want to talk 
more about. Well, I want to thank both Jamie and Dan for being on today. Jamie, thanks for all your institutional knowledge. Uh, no problem. Tell me anytime. Dan, thanks for all you've done and uh, continue to do. Good luck with uh, changing racing forever. Well, thank you. We're trying. We had a good run at it last year. We're promoting magnesium and lightweighting. And uh, this year with the project going on, we'll see if we can show something that people haven't seen yet. Stay tuned, everybody. Uh, this is Tim Eccles. You're listening to Energy Matters. Stick around. We've got another segment coming right up. Energy Matters would like to thank Gas South for its support of the show. Gas South has a no deposit policy and offers some of the lowest per therm rates in the state. Use the promo code MATTERS for a special deal. Gas South, the difference is good. Gas South believes in the difference we can all make, like the difference in putting people first and showing that you care. For us, our difference is saving people money with our best rates and no deposit, and the difference we make in our community by taking care of our friends and neighbors and giving back 5% of our profits to help children in need. Learn more about what makes us different at GasSouth.com. Gas South. The difference is good. BMVW is the place in Metro Atlanta to get your used hybrid, plug-in hybrid, or fully electric car. They're located on the south side near the airport, but it is well worth the drive. Go online to look at their inventory at ev-hybrid.com and set up a time to see the vehicle or even drive it for up to three days. I don't know of anywhere else in Metro Atlanta that you can do that. That's ev-hybrid.com, the best deal in town. ev-hybrid.com, ev-hybrid.com. This episode of Energy Matters is sponsored by Arnold, Golden, and Gregory, an AMLAW 200 law firm with 180 attorneys in Atlanta and Washington, D.C. They take a business sensibility approach when advising clients. They provide industry knowledge, attention to detail, transparency, and value to help businesses and individuals achieve their definition of success. AGG subscribes to the belief not if, but how. We thank John Gornall and all the attorneys and staff at AGG for sponsoring our show. Hey, Tim Eccles back on Energy Matters uh, with my son David in this segment, too. Uh, David, that first segment just featured Jamie and Dan Panis uh, from that operation there in Houston. I mean, they really are legends in this part of the country. Right, right. Well, thanks, Dad, for having me on the show. I really do appreciate it. Hey, you've got your own podcast. We're going to talk about that in a second. But maybe we can talk about the impact that the Panaces have have had on racing and the importance of car racing in northeast Georgia. I mean, with their shop, the track, Chateau Alain, the series, IMSA, they really have done a lot. Right. You might know some more of the history with Panos than maybe I do, but I know they've had great influences on the motorsports world and the automotive industry as well. Well, Racho Devo is uh, a podcast that you've been doing. Tell us a little bit about it. Uh, yeah, the Ratchet Devo podcast. It's just something that I started on my own. Uh, it a- actually started with my YouTube channel and filming uh, just automotive-related content. And I kind of branched out into the podcast world with that. I just kind of brought them both together into one thing. And so it's both on YouTube now rather than on every podcast platform. But, yeah, I've, I've really enjoyed doing podcasts. 
you've done things from working on garage floors and making them better for auto type of applications to restoring old trucks. And what are some of the other topics you guys are going to look at? It's obviously always based around automotive stuff, but I really have enjoyed doing kind of a DIY or the do-it-yourself kind of projects inside the garage um moving forward um outside of just driving content um i plan on going to road atlanta and doing filming content there um but i think you know my my content will always be centered and focused around cars driving and projects within the garage Speaking of driving, we've got uh, your son, my grandson, Lincoln, cruising around here in his little hot rod uh, and, and, and being mobile. Uh, how fun is it having uh, a little baby? It's actually amazing. It is really fun, and I've kind of been enjoying kind of teaching him, even though he's still young, kind of what cars look like, and he's been able to point them out and have fun with that. So it, it's kind of been a joy to start passing on the torch of my automotive passion onto the next generation, which I think is extremely important. You know, you've got a degree in motorsports technology. Uh, A lot of folks maybe aren't aware that Lanier Tech and some other institutions are involved with this because motorsports is an industry in Georgia from the Atlanta Motor Speedway to the drag racing that we had to the motorsports park over in Dawsonville to road atlanta and and all the short tracks around it really is a big economic development driver for the state of georgia i love georgia and the amount of automotive industry they actually have in it even though it's not like charlotte north carolina which would be more of the nascar hub um i've I love Northeast Georgia for you have mountains available to you. You have Road Atlanta, Atlanta Motorsports Park, and then you can go down to Savannah and there's Roebling Road. um, And then right, just throwing a rock right over the border to Florida. There's tons of tracks down there. Um, But yeah, I I did do my automotive degree with Lanier Technical College, um, which was motorsports focused and not so much on the normal automotive side, which would be fix and repair, more of performance, make it go faster. So yeah, that's um, something that maybe not a lot of people know are there until somebody actually might tell you about it it's kind of almost it's not a word of mouth but you might not know that kind of degree exists unless someone else is talking about it but yeah that um definitely loving cars and then doing the motorsports degree and then Lanier Tech connecting me to most of the race teams that I traveled with aside from one Lanier Tech was able to connect me with those teams and so I was able to travel the country yeah, you did travel. Uh, you got to see a lot of different racetracks, and I, I wanted to ask your I wanted to ask your opinion about this because at, at all of these racetracks that you've been to, I haven't been to as many, but clearly OEMs, these original qu- equipment manufacturers, you, know, you take Ford, Chevy, Cadillac, Acura, Porsche, BMW. These big companies are driving uh, the way racing looks. And I wonder, as we kind of think about electric cars in the future, do you feel like that there will be a point where these big manufacturers will tell the tracks and the series and the IMSAs, look, we're going to have a piece of this feature these type of cars that we're that we're manufacturing? I think that's kind of a yes and no on my part on that. I do think that... Yes, electric cars could make their way into motorsports racing, and in some ways they already have with the Formula E. 
Um, as far as the IMSA road course racing, the big series that travels in the United States, you know, Chevrolet is a is one of the big brands that that pushes that series as well as Audi and um, Lexus is in there and uh, multiple different brands. Ford is is still in there. And if those car companies feel that electric vehicles are what's the most important thing to them and they want to push that brand, then yes, I do believe that they're going to try to push for some sort of electric car. Maybe not specifically in that series because using Chevrolet just as an example, their Corvette is their pride and joy and I'm not sure they would be willing to give up. So that's kind of the no part of my question is that would Chevrolet be willing to set to lay the Corvette down to let something else rise up in its place or to focus in some other form of motorsports? So I think there's a yes and no there, and it just depends on is that automotive manufacturer more focused on the electric vehicle than the gas-powered vehicle? Um, and if they think that is their future, then that's probably the way they're going to go. Well, my granddad was in the car business. He bought a car auction in 1960. My dad was an auctioneer. My brothers have been in the car business. I worked for Ford Motor Company for five years, and now you're working at Carvana. So, you know, we're talking multi-generations here being in the car business. So, you know, I'm, I'm wondering, as you look at the car market right now, as robust, as, as inflated as I've ever seen it, what do you see for the future of the American auto market? It's, it's hard to say that the gas-powered vehicles will be gone by a certain time. I know some manufacturers like either Volkswagen or even GM have said that they want to push for a large amount of EV vehicles or EVs in the near future um, and kind of phase out the regular gas-powered traditional vehicles. But I just don't know if that's going to overpower. I don't know if electric vehicles will tip the balance you know I, I would say right now the balance would be more tipped towards traditional gas-powered vehicles um, but electric vehicles have been improving the range I think that's been one of the biggest setbacks of people really being willing to get into an electric vehicle is the amount of time charging and how much time they can spend on the road so I would say if they overcome being able to pass what maybe a, a vehicle would be willing to do and making electric stations more readily available just like gas stations and the the rapid charging and all the technology coming in i definitely think the balance could be closer to 50 50 within a certain number of years but i'm really not sure you know how fast that progression will be you know because there are still people just like me that do love regular internal combustion engines and would hate to to have the roads completely silenced and not enjoy some of the motorsports aspects that the true roots of motorsports um and so part of part of my heart gets saddened when i hear about electric vehicles taking over but i understand that's also the way the world is going i think there could be definitely a healthy balance between the two um but if you know anything about obviously the epa and um kind of their push on motorsports and the aftermarket world and a lot of motorsports enthusiasts were trying to sign basically a petition the rpm act to try to keep the epa from shutting down motorsports and and completely getting rid of you know because it was all about the environment and how 
aftermarket stuff and getting rid of catalytic converters and exhaust systems, that's what was causing the EPA to be worried because the modifications of vehicles was so large. I, I did not I did not know about that. That's that's really fascinating. Just uh, last minute on the show, uh, as you guys are evaluating automobiles right now, I know that it seems like these Japanese hybrids are just out of sight from prices. Are there any cars out there that you're seeing right now that you would say would be a, quote, remote bargain that consumers need to look at? Um, I, there are definitely a lot of hybrids out there that could potentially be a bargain. Maybe like the I know there are some like Honda Civics that are hybrids and everything like that. Just definitely seeing a lot of commuter cars, gas saver cars being pushed out of the facility right now, um, as opposed to the high performance cars, which is a small number in comparison to the commuter cars and the gas savers within that facility. And just as we wrap, I know you're looking forward to being back out there on the track this year, along with your your brother, Joseph, who's building a track car now. So what's the next big event for you maybe coming up? Um, Global Time Attack at Road Atlanta has definitely been a bucket list event for me. Um, I may not have an extremely fast car, but I'll be doing it in my Jetta um, just to turn some laps on the track. And in the future, um, I might be doing some sort of motorsports rental program instead. Well, great having you on the show today. Thanks for being on. Thanks, Dad. Hey, this is Tim Eccles. Stick around. We'll have another segment in just a minute. You're listening to Energy Matters. Creative Solar USA is a Georgia-based turnkey installer of innovative solar panel systems. With their NABCEP certified installers, they ensure you receive the highest quality solar energy system in the industry. They're proud to work with you before, during, and after the install, blending customer demand, system capability, and expertise to provide the best service possible. Contact them today at 770-485-7438 or creativesolarusa.com. Hey, this is Tim Eccles. We talk all the time on Energy Matters about buying a used EV instead of a new one. Let someone else pay the depreciation. BMVW Auto Sales, one of our show sponsors, can fix you up. Go to their website at ev-hybrid.com to see the ever-changing inventory. BMVW has every brand, every type of EV, and they'll even let you test drive it for three days, show you how to charge it and drive it for maximum performance. That's ev-hybrid.com, ev-hybrid.com. Reducing pollution from the transportation industry is an important goal, and few alternative vehicle fuels offer the distinct advantages of compressed natural gas. I myself drive an F-150 C&G pickup. Marlin Compression, part of Marlin Gas Services, is helping to usher in this clean energy future to the Port of Savannah, too. Not only is Marlin Compression a trusted provider of CNG for fleet fueling, they are also working with Port Fueling Center on a state-of-the-art CNG truck fueling facility. Learn more about the distinct economic and environmental advantages of using natural gas for trucking fleets of all sizes and explore all of Marlin services by visiting MarlinCompression.com. That's MarlinCompression.com. Calculate your savings 
today. So welcome back to Trade Talks. As usual, my co-host, Randy Beal, who is the business manager for the Atlanta North Georgia Building Trades. And today we have the honor of having Commissioner Tim Eccles from the Georgia Public Service Commission. Thank you for joining us. So I wanted to talk a little bit about sort of the future of energy in Georgia. Uh, and for people who don't know, I, I just want to ask you, what what does a commissioner of the Georgia Public Service Commission do? And how does that, what does that mean to the citizens of the state? Yeah, it was created back in 1879 as the Railroad Commission to basically regulate people who had a territorial monopoly. Whenever the topic of energy comes up in the state of Georgia, the topic of plant vogel generally comes up and we have we as the building trades have lots of people working there can you talk about that project why does that project dominate the headlines like it does and and why why does it take so long to to build it's a big project right Mm -hmm. Uh, this is a project that's going to have a hundred year life it's going to serve five generations with clean energy and when i mean clean i mean zero co2 coming out of those cooling towers. People see that, Randy, and they think, oh, that's the nuclear reactor. No, that's just the cooling tower with the steam. People don't understand nuclear energy. And it it is so important for the clean energy goals that the United States has. And I mean, we haven't built these in 30 years. And so we haven't we hadn't had the practice like we have with highways or bridges or cell phone towers or anything else, uh, skyscrapers even. And so we are creating something more complicated than a spaceship. And it it takes a while to get that done, but it is going to be worth it. And it has to be done right. Let's don't forget that. It takes a lot of training. I was just on a phone call with someone. We were talking about the needs of uh, advanced nuclear energy moving forward. And they asked about the workforce, and what what did I see coming down the line that would you know be comp- make that complicated? Welding, we haven't had to date in any trade. I mean, ironwork, electrical, sheet metal, pipe fitting, that a welder comes out of the technical college system of Georgia, and can pass the welding test to get to Vogel. Not one person has done that. Every one of them has to go through rigorous training by the trades to be able to pass that test. Not that we didn't want them to pass. We needed put people in the job, but they couldn't do it. They people don't understand the safety measures and the work that's involved. Is I mean, yeah, it, it is. It is so difficult to do nuclear standard welding or anything else. It comes under enormous scrutiny from the Nuclear Regulatory Commission. So you can't just take a person that's been out there welding in a little welding shop somewhere, yeah. maybe, or working on their race car over the weekend and expect them to do this. And so we have to have craftsmen who are highly trained. And for craftsmen to stay in that work, they've got to have good pay. It's got to support their family. They've got to have insurance. They've got to have those other things. And that's where your, you know, your union comes in. You provide them with what they need to be able to keep them in that job and be able to do that job in a way that lets them live the kind of life they want to live. Yeah. And so how long is that project going to last in terms of the construction phase of it? And what does that mean after it's complete? Yeah, so the project, you know, began way back in 2009 when the Public Service Commission approved it, right? So we work hand-in-hand with Georgia Power. We approve, we essentially hold the purse 
the ratepayer's purse and allow Georgia Power to access that. We're auditing the, the, what they're spending out of that purse. And so we have this fiduciary responsibility. So the plant, I was just there uh, just recently this week, the plant has already passed unit three, hot functional testing, full temperature, full pressure, uh, and they're wrapping up details. I mean, it has to run right, for a while just in kind of a practice session before we actually put it on the grid and, and, and charge the ratepayers the final amount for it. So this is going to happen. And, you know, those workers that, that are on Unit 3 move over to Unit 4. But we've got to make sure, I think, going forward is that we don't lose this institutional knowledge that these craftsmen have gained now over the last yeah. 11, 12 years. Let's get another project going that these craftsmen can take essentially the master's degree that they have in welding and electrical and totally. sheet metal and, and, and all, the, all the unions that are involved. Let's get them on another project as soon as possible. Well, that, that begs a question. So what happens to the other parts of the state? The plant Bowens of the world is the one that I can think of. You know, what is that? How does that how does Georgia shift its energy, uh, I guess, output and still keep the employment? Because you, you have to have people who have money to be ratepayers, right? So how does that look like when it's done in terms of the other plants and the other energy um, outfits in the state? Yeah, most people, I think, recognize that coal has seen its glory days in America, and yeah. it will be slowly phased out. Some states have essentially gone to war against it and declared it immoral. We haven't done that in Georgia. We want to get our money's worth mm. out of both Plant Shearer down in Juliet near Macon and Plant Bowen in Cartersville. So let's run those plants until the end of their useful life. I don't want to prematurely close these plants. And what would be ideal, what would be ideal is that the, the IBEW guys that we have there and other other union workers that we're able to have a smooth transition from the end of a coal plant's life over to another project. To me, that's ideal. That's going to take some, some planning, some good planning, but I think we need to be talking about that on a regular basis. Yeah, so so what is that? what could that look like? I mean, there's you hear a lot of buzzwords out there about solar and wind and those things. What what does that look like uh, in your in your estimation? Yeah, I, I mean, right now at Idaho National Lab, we have a number of Generation Four reactors being built, pilot programs being developed. New Scale, for example, is is a reactor design approved by the Nuclear Regulatory Commission and the Department of Energy, getting a federal subsidy, and it is being designed, tested, and built there. Generation four being? Yeah, so it's the next generation, the advanced nuclear, which is uses less water, uh, safer, less less of a uh, emergency zone around the plant. Everything about it is, is, is safer, not easier, and that's why we still need the craftsmen uh, right. that, that are in your unions to be able to be involved with building it. We have to have workers that know what they're doing. Is it, there, go ahead. It, well, well, you know, I was on another thing that was brought up in that call is about what you just said. How do we continue to have the workforce to do this? And listen, we respect and we honor the people that went to college and get degrees in engineering to develop a plant Vogel, but they don't have practicality. One thing that I can say is being a tradesperson myself 
and I've been a project manager, but I've been an installer, let's call it that, is we see things and learn things that the person in the office pushing the pen and the paper don't see. And it's essential for our folks, and they do a great job of this, to tell the people in their management chain of command, hey, I know it's drawn this way, I see this, but this is the best, most effective, safest way to accomplish it. That's the kind of knowledge we can't afford to lose because, you know, this this one took X amount of years, but that isn't the whole story. It didn't just take this long. It was actually started and then had to be stopped. I mean, there's a whole other story there. And then union labor came in and made sure this thing got done. We can get that timeline down, right? We can get it down some. I think we can, and certainly practice makes perfect. But let me get on my soapbox for a minute because what you brought up, Randy, about, about the suits in the office thinking they know more than the craft on the ground. I mean, we And I think America, and I don't, I don't know who's responsible for feeding this myth, but I think we've done a great disservice to young people in telling them they have to have some college education to be successful. We have created this division right between blue collar workers craftsmen and people that have some drama art history degree from some ivy league school and the the truth of the matter is that we need all of these people living in harmony together and you go to a country like germany and i can tell you you still see tremendous respect for those workers in those plants, I mean, it's one of the reasons one of the reasons that they make great automobiles. They have they have maintained the societal respect for those craftsmen. And Randy, I fear that we've we've lost this in this country. We've got to get it back. Another area that's less uh, divided, so to speak, less of a of a hierarchy. I think the South is very much like that. But my son is a welder. He moved out west. And, and the Western ethic out there is not quite as, I'm talking about the Rocky Mountains region, really. You know, if you, if you when it's 25 degrees below zero, y- your art degree doesn't do you any good. And so I think that ethos, for lack of a better term, of, of that respect for tradespeople is a little bit more prevalent out there. And I think Randy does a great job of trying to, you know, get that message out here in the Southeast as well, because there is kind of a divide here. It's, oh, where'd you go to school? You know, that's the first thing people ask you. And they don't really ask you that there. They don't really ask you that in Germany. There, There's there's a there's an aptitude kind of almost like a meritocracy thing that doesn't get told about the union crafts every time i've ever taken a a facilities person you know a white collar worker college educated to one of the apprenticeship programs they're blown away they have no idea that for a hundred plus years the you know we've been training craftspeople in in a well-rounded craftsmanship forever and that that message does not get out and it's one of the things that you're doing a great job of with the georgia construction careers is to teach these high school kids man you can have a killer career not just a job hey this is tim eckle stick around you're listening to energy matters Hey, Tim Eccles here, host of Energy Matters. Solar's growing like crazy in Georgia, and I certainly say buyer beware. It's great to have companies like Creative Solar USA on the job. Russ, why do folks need to reach out to you? Tim, we're going on to our 14th year, and we have the best staff and most experienced installers in the state to get the job done right. You can find out more at creativesolarusa.com or call 770-485-7438. That's creativesolarusa.com. 
Tim Eccles, host of Energy Matters, here with Jeff Pratt of Green Power EMC. Jeff, more and more EMCs are offering solar to their members, and you're seeing it grow like crazy across rural Georgia. Tim, you're right. Co-ops in Georgia are doing a great job of deploying solar across the state. In fact, they're leaders in the country with respect to engaging customers and deploying large-scale solar to benefit all their members. Hey, contact your EMC and ask them about their solar energy policy, or just Google Green Power EMC. This segment of Energy Matters is sponsored by Hall Booth Smith. This law firm works with over 88 Fortune 500 companies, and they have offices from Brunswick to Athens, Tifton to Columbus, and of course, Atlanta. We'd like to thank Hall Booth Smith for the great work they do with school boards, hospitals, cities, and counties all over our state. See more at hallboothsmith.com. Hey, welcome back to Energy Matters. Uh, Tim Eccles, one more segment here in the studio with me, Casey Boyce. Casey just um, had that trade talk interview that I did with the Building and Trades Union folks uh, in their uh, facility down in Atlanta talking about big construction projects and the importance of those, particularly to that union, and the importance of finishing those projects. And Casey, I, I guess I, I guess that finishing something that you start is important, especially to craft labor. Yeah. And, you know, certainly when you look at these big projects, you know, as, as listeners uh, may know, I was involved in the very, very early stages of the Beltline. And of course, that's a pretty massive infrastructure project for the city of Atlanta and any individual development along the Beltline, uh, you know, is, is fairly large. You know, they're getting financing for these things, right? So it's not only the craftsmen and, and you know, labor that are involved in building these things, but it's it's the financial backers that expect to see something, you know, in the ground at the end of the day. Yeah, Casey, I, you know, I think one of the things that we don't think about a lot is ancillary companies that come along and build beside these projects. I, I mean, we saw this happen at Kia down in West Point, Georgia. We see We've seen this happen at Kia uh, in West Point. We've seen this happen uh, at the Volkswagen plant in Alabama with the Hyundai plant. And I believe we'll see it uh, with the Rivian plant, uh, as well as obviously uh, at Plant Vogel with more and more kind of suppliers and vendors uh, locating near there. So there's always this, uh, this friend effect that happens when you build something massive. Yeah, and that's known as an economic multiplier, right? So one of the things, um, again, early on in the Beltline when we were looking at it was saying, you know, what is it that's going to be the spillover impact, right? The city's investing in trails, parks, transit, um, putting specific development around. But to your point, knowing that there is going to be additional development hap- that happens outside of the immediate Beltline area or any one of these large projects, right, Tim? Um, and that the money is not just kind of a, you know, straightforward, you know, you spend X to build it and you're going to get Y in return, but it's Y usually times three to five because you create that local economy of services, of other producers in the area, whatever it is that's needed to sustain that thing that you're building. Yeah, think about the Beltline, Casey, and you know this more than me, but you know, not only do you have the Beltline itself, but you look at Pont City Market, you look at 
all those apartments, you look at all those restaurants, all those shops, uh, people that want to be near the action, even companies. I think about Velo Solar and some of the guys that have located their office near the Beltline. I mean, it really is very magnetizing. Yeah, literally right on the Beltline, which is is great. And, you know, of course, not everyone who works on the Beltline lives at the Beltline, right? So they've got their jobs there and they go back to wherever they are and they spend money in their neighborhood. So it's a multiplier impact and it really is something that's that's kind of neat to see. Yeah, Casey, um, as we think about building projects for the future and, uh, you know, in talking with uh, with Randy Beal uh, in this interview, I know that our unions really want to see us transition from coal to something else that they can build. So, and they would like it to be fairly seamless. So, what they're thinking is, look, if we can close coal plants, you know, at, at Plant Bowen or Plant Shearer or whatever, and then build something else uh, on kind of on the heels of that, so that their workforce doesn't have to leave the state and i know that i mean if you're an english major like me and you can work in you know and you can work out here in sales or business development or whatever you can work almost anywhere but there are certain crafts you just have to follow the work and i don't know that people realize that yeah and i mean beyond that you know, these these people have, um, you know, they may ha- be from Georgia. Um, if not, they've been in the community for a while and established themselves. And, you know, yes, there is definitely a, you know, a follow the work, but there's some value too to, you know, giving people an opportunity to stay where they are. And, you know, Tim, we've talked about it briefly on the show before. You know, one of the things that's really exciting to see with some of the coal plants that have been closing elsewhere in the country and the world is some of the repurposing of those for energy production, right? So, you know, the, the, power plants already have significant grid interconnections. They can already deliver, you know, a lot of power to the grid. They generally are on fairly large parcels of land. And, you know, depending on where you are in the country, uh, you know, in the Midwest, uh, it's good for wind Uh, here in Georgia, probably good for solar. And of course, you know, those skilled laborers, um, uh, you know, electricians and and such um, are really integral to building utility scale solar plants. So, you know, that's one of the things that I certainly would love to see more of. And, you know, this is where you've got more of a, you know, uh, a view about this and, and kind of what's going to transpire than I do. But I'd love to see the remaining coal plants in Georgia shut down, convert to utility scale storage. You can add batteries in there to provide grid st- uh, grid services. Um, and, and it keeps those folks employed, it keeps them in the community and it keeps providing, you know, clean energy for Georgians. Casey, I don't, I don't see our coal plants being shut down abruptly. Uh, I see them being phased out and a lot of folks, maybe they're not aware of how we do energy planning, but we obviously want to, uh, we obviously want to depreciate, uh, these assets fully and normally at a coal plant, one unit. Unit one is finished before unit two, which is finished before unit three, and you kind of close them in that order. And I think that's probably the way that we're going to wind up phasing out the rest of coal, that it's not going to be this knee-jerk reaction where we say, well, we're just going to, you know, we're just going to close all our coal plants, kind of like Germany said with nuclear by the end of 2022. Uh, They just abruptly decided that they were going to do this with a uh, you know, with the second phase of their plant. So I think, Casey, it's just going to be a 
uh, a slow process, giving us time to plan uh, for other resources in the future. Yeah, well, I, I mean, I certainly hope that uh, you and your colleagues on the commission and uh, the power companies see fit to accelerate that as as much as feasible. Um, you know, I think the uh, the climate certainly uh, relies on that. I, I get the economic arguments, um, and I think there's there's some learning arguments too, right? Like if you're doing what what I was talking about and putting in solar and and maybe batteries in place of those units as you're closing down unit one, unit two, you incrementally build, and and you're able to learn the operational characteristics a little bit better and, and, you know, see what happens with higher penetrations of, uh, you know, renewables, uh, solar specifically on the grid. And, you know, we've talked about that on the show before, right, that they have very different characteristics from a coal plant. And so, you know, the power company needs to learn how to, to manage those to maintain reliability. Casey, let me ask you about this idea of building big solar, big batteries, uh, and, the the overall risk and cost of building these type of assets versus something as complicated as a nuclear power plant or maybe a gas plant or something else. Yeah, I mean, I think the beauty of solar and similarly to batteries, batteries are a little bit more complex, is that they're very modular and scalable, right? You can buy off the rack uh, solar panels and they go on in a very consistent way. Um, they connect in a very consistent way. Uh, and, you know, you can scale it as, as big or as small as your land allows you to and, and your budget allows you to and your energy needs allow you uh, to. So, um, and, and batteries are similar. There's a little bit more uh, complexity when you're installing batteries but similarly they're they're kind of uh, modular and so unlike something like a, a nuclear plant where you've got all of these very complex interconnected systems and if one isn't working the whole thing isn't working um, that's not the case with solar so it's quite a bit um, easier to get in place more quickly and as I said you know to be able to scale up and down as, as things make sense Casey just the last couple of minutes here I wanted to to just bring to your attention an article that I had seen um, in the BBC called EU Plans to Label Gas and Nuclear Energy Green Prompt Row. Uh, of course, I guess row is a, it's, it's a dispute, uh, I guess, from a British perspective. Uh, you had a chance to look at the article. Were you surprised to see that uh, that the EU now is going to back up and maybe qualify gas that would be, quote, a little bit greener uh, than uh, than something else? I am. I mean, I think, you know, when we look at, you know, fossil generation, natural gas is definitely a lot cleaner than burning something like coal. So it's a step in the right direction. It's a big part of why the U.S. has reduced its greenhouse gas emissions. Uh, to label it as green, though, it makes me a little bit skeptical. I'm not surprised to see nuclear in there. I mean, I understand the uh, the concerns that the Germans have around that. Um, but, you know, if you've got existing nuclear fleet like France does, certainly Germany's in the process of closing theirs down as as you mentioned earlier, um, you know, keeping that online certainly makes sense because it's carbon-free uh, generation. Yeah, you know, uh, this article mentioned the commitments that these countries made at COP26, the climate summit over in Glasgow, about keeping temperature rises within 1.5 C. And I mean, to me, we've talked about it before, just a little bit hypocritical of the Germans to want to keep burning all this coal uh, and at the same time, you know, shut down something like nuclear. But it's going to continue to be a controversy. Uh, well, Casey, thanks for being on today. And I just want to let everybody know that we've got 
some some very special things coming up this year with Energy Matters, a, a special set of awards that we're going to roll out uh, across Georgia. You're going to be surprised. We're going to need your help in nominating people. So stay tuned for that, uh, everyone. And I hope everyone has a fantastic weekend because energy does matter. Tim Eccles of Energy Matters here for Solar Sun World. No doubt you've seen solar panels popping up all over the state. If you want the precision of German engineering when it comes to solar, Solar Sun World is for you. Gerd and all the folks at Solar Sun World understand the complexities of solar and how to make it work for you. From tax credits to inverters to accelerated depreciation, they'll advise you on the best path forward. And Solar Sun World now offers power purchase agreements. Find them at solarsunworld.com, solarsunworld.com. Everyone has tough times in their life. By checking the project share box at the bottom of your utility bill, you can make life a little easier for your neighbors. Your $1, 2 or $5 checkoff is matched by the utility and then used by the Salvation Army to help folks having a tough time paying their energy bills. It's that easy. Join PSC Commissioner Tim Eccles and many others by donating via your power bills this year. See more by clicking projectshareinfo.com. And thank you. Did you know Amazon provides ways of working that fit your lifestyle? They know you value your time outside of work, juggling family, school, friends, or other activities. That's why they offer a variety of shifts that work for you. There are full-time, part-time, and even temporary opportunities that can work with your schedule with great starting pay and sign-on bonuses. If you want a career that fits and adapts to your lifestyle, head to Amazon.com apply. Amazon is a proud equal opportunity employer.